Great. Wow, that's a record. A Pentecostal gospel preacher in Kenya gets out of here in less than 10 minutes. That's amazing. So uh, I don't know. Um, but what a delight. Uh, what a delight that we are partnering in, the, in this work and look forward to how God is going to expand your work. And we are blessed to be in relationship with you. And we really need to be in connection with you. Um, you know, the myth of our culture is that Christianity is some European, American, you know, segment of the privileged population. But right now, if you were to take the center of what God is doing, it, it would be in Africa, uh, maybe South America, uh, and it would be evidence in many of the people that you are serving. And we want to be joined to that great trail renewal. Um, this morning, we're in this series, The Why. <laughs> why we do what we do. And uh, we looked at prayer, which is central, connecting us with God. Uh, and last week, Pastor Jeff preached an amazing sermon on worship from the book of Revelation, again, connecting with God. And I'm gonna talk about a second part of that because I believe a healthy church has to be, first of all, focused on exalting Jesus. But the second thing out of that is building healthy community. And out of healthy community comes mission. And if you get those things out of order, then you build something that does not represent Jesus. And we're gonna talk about why, uh, and really just use one verse that I'm gonna bank off especially, why it is so important that the, that the church be a welcoming community. Why welcome is so important. And we're gonna look at Romans 15, verse seven, and really bank primarily off of this verse. Uh, just um, focus on this verse like the best soft chocolate that you could pop in your mouth and you don't chew it, you just savor it. Um, it is, there is so much in this verse for us, but we'll begin with verse four of Romans 15. Uh, he says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let's just read that verse together. That's what we're gonna bank. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. I'm gonna to talk to you this morning from the word of God about welcome as a primary uh, and essential uh, task of the church in our culture. Uh, it must be evident on Sunday morning, but it's not, it's not a technique. You know, we're not impressed if we go to the used car lot and we are dealt with enthusiastic welcome <laughs> because there is an agenda behind it. Uh, but we're talking about uh, a kind of welcome that is rooted in nothing else other than that therefore, because of how God in Christ has welcomed us. So this is a welcome that is lifted to the highest plane of welcome possible in Jesus Christ. And then it is, it is not only received, but it's received in order to be transmitted. Th this is really where the credibility of the church, I think, is gonna be tested and tried. Because here, here's the reality. The welcome requires a kind of reigning, functioning culture of grace to be operated in the church. Um, when I say culture of grace, that's different than preaching the doctrines of grace. So here's gospel doctrine is simply 
the understanding that God's love is received by undeserved sinners like me and like you through the cross of Jesus Christ. It is the proclamation that nobody deserves it, but we receive it through Christ's cross and through his shed blood. That's the doctrine. And sadly, actually, you can't actually find that doctrine preached clearly in most churches. Uh, what you hear is either try harder or self-help or just kind of human potential. But within the churches that preach it, and we will, this church is founded on the premise that that is the only thing that should be preached every Sunday, that that, that must be preached every Sunday in context of everything else. But the question out of that, that everybody asks when they come through the doors of CLC or any other church that preaches, they say, okay, you preach that as a premise, as a conviction, as something that you believe, but when I begin to share my baggage, my questions, my doubts, my hurts, my hangups, and when you get to know me, and, you, and when, when real life comes into the equation and you find out that my growth in Christ is not like this, it's more like you know, climbing an icy mountain with, you know, it's, it, it's more uh, with all kinds of hiccups because Christian growth doesn't happen like this. We're never promised that. What happens often is we, we have seasons of life that bring out the worst in us, or we get triggered by something, or uh, we've got to go back to learn some lessons. And you say, it, do you really function? Do you really believe this? Because that's going to be evidenced in how we receive and treat one another. And that's why this verse, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Here's the reality. Every day in the world, we are in various degrees being beaten up. Some of you feel it, but some of you may, may have just gotten so used to it, you're not realizing the world is pummeling us. We live in a social environment where we never really measure up. We are soaked in an environment of criticism and comparison, so much that it actually feels normal, but it's not meant to be normal. We're made, if, if you're not made to feel small at work, you are made to feel small in advertising, <laughs> from the glossy magazines covers, or maybe the Instagram, Facebook life that projects only the best of events, but not real life. And we swim in an ocean of this kind of, this kind of messages coming to us all week long, and then we walk into church. And the reality is many of us even have histories of church, because church, you know, it's, it's not a perfect place. <laughs> And, and so we come into that, and um, for years, Liz and I actually had our courtship at, in 10th Presbyterian Church. Some of you may know that church, but there was, there were every single week, and I actually thought it was a bit of a, a rut when I first experienced it, like the first six weeks. They opened the service uh, with uh, words like this, to all who are spiritually weary and need rest, to, um, and, and went through this litany, which I'm gonna to read to you in a minute, the whole thing, but, but it ended really with this church flings open wide its doors and in the name of Jesus Christ says welcome. And uh, around uh, the year 2000, there was a, a church in Nashville that uh, the pastor, Ray Orton, has been kind of a mentor of mine. And it, they wound up in a position where people were so hurting, so disillusioned by what had happened in church. He said, like, nobody had any energy for any vision of any kind. They were just like, this has been kicked in the gut. 
And so for every meeting, he devised and he revised this statement to, that was read at 10th Presbyterian to, to be strengthened. And he had it read every single week because he wanted people who came into church to know that you have just walked into grace. If you've stepped, th this is my prayer for CLC. When you step into these doors, you say, you have just walked into a different atmosphere. You have just walked into grace. We can relax, we can own up, we can be honest, we can face the living God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and what he has endured for us and expect him to speak into our lives. And here's, here's what he had, had read every single week. We might, we might start this a few weeks here. <laughs> they began each, each gathering this. It says, to all who are weary and need rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares, to all who fall and desire strength, to all who sin and need a savior, this church opens wide her doors with a welcome from Jesus Christ, the ally of his enemies, the defender of the guilty, the justifier of those who have no excuses left, the mighty friend of sinners says, welcome. That begins to take down the defenses, right? And, and, it, and it, it's really been part of the essential priorities of CLC. When you think about why, why, why this lobby? Why this big yellow mug? Uh, it, it's not just because we do better if we have a little caffeine and some carbohydrates. That's true. But it's because we, we know the opening entrance way uh, it's supposed to some, in some way remind us of how we have been welcomed by Jesus Christ. I, I love this, the big yellow mug. I want to kind of, I don't know whether this was the case. I think it was partly called big yellow mug, right? Because of that, the trailer and, and all that. But I, I want to recast a little bit of why yellow, because I think yellow might be important. Uh, you may be familiar with a, a story, and I think I've even told it already, the story Billy Graham tells of this man who was in prison for seven years. And he had burnt every bridge with everybody who loved him. And he had cut ties and um, they hadn't been visiting him or associating with him. And finally he got sudden notice that he was going to be released. Uh, and as Billy Graham tells this story, he says it's had various renditions, but he believes in, that it's absolutely true. Here's what happened. Uh, this man uh, got a, a little bit of change enough to buy a bus ticket and he was headed into Philadelphia around some row houses where he lived and he passed a message on to his family and he said, if you're willing to receive me, I'm suddenly gonna be released. I want you to give me the sign and I want you to hang out some, some yellow cloth out the window so that I can know that I'll be welcomed and if it's not there when I come by, uh, I, I won't darken your door with my face. I'll just travel on and forge a life that is new and leave all those relationships behind. And when he came around the corner, it is, his bus actually filled with students, I think from Temple University. And they were, they were all on his bus and he, he was so nervous and racked with that, he began to tell his story to a couple of the students he was sitting next to and he says, I can't even bear to look. So I'm not gonna even look. I want you to look off the bus window when I come around that bend and tell me if that row house has something yellow so I can know I can get off at the next stop and walk home. And when they came around the corner, 
He said every single row house on that block was draped with yellow. People had gone out and bought yellow ribbons, yellow sheets, all kinds of, you know, SpongeBob kind of, you know, yellow glaring sheets draped out. Because you know what? Um, God says that when the lost are found, the lost are the people God is, are on the heart of God, that heaven is ready to throw a party and that the, the gates of heaven, uh, I think not only the streets are paved with yellow uh, gold, but the gates of heaven hang out the drapes saying, sinner, come home, come home, come home. And I want to just say, why don't we recast it and say, that's why it's a yellow mug. <laughs> Because we can say to everybody who steps in here that the streets of heaven, and, and we think about that verse, that the angels are having a party. We wanna give a, we wanna create parties in heaven. But it doesn't stop at conversion. It isn't that, that the spirit of God says, okay, now you're a Christian, shape up, and if you mess up, heaven's frowning. In fact, right? I mean, we tend to think like, okay, there's a grace for me before I become a Christian. But after I'm a Christian, when I mess up, you know, for me to come back, um, well, the Holy Trinity has to hold a special meeting to create the requirement list for what I've got to do to maybe be put back on probation. <laughs> I mean, we know that's the way it works. The parable Jesus told of the prodigal son, you remember what happened when he was, you know, eating the husk of the pig and he decided I would go home? You know what he decided to do? He decided to create a speech that would, would bend his father's will to make him an employee. So he's like, I'm not worthy to be your son. I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. Uh, which, when he said that, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, the, those who knew the Bible knew that was basically what Pharaoh said to Moses when Moses said the plagues are coming. He basically was trying to bend God's will and put it, put it off. And, and Jesus is showing this, this young man who's blown it all is not yet repentant. <laughs> He's just trying to bend his father's will and he's trying to get a probationary agreement. And you know what the father did with that, right? <laughs> he tore that kind of speech up, but that's what we think. We think like, hey, I've blown it so bad before I can be reinstated. That, that, that there's this committee meeting of the Trinity to reinstate us and, and it, the reality is heaven's gates are unfurled. The, the father reinstates us. And what did the father do? He ran with the robe and the ring and the shoes and the fatted calf. And that is, that is the culture of, of welcome. That's, you wanna say, that's the why behind the big yellow mug. You know, where pandemic was a big interruption, we've gotta get some things in order for the whole business plan of the big yellow mug and how it functions the rest of the days of the week. It still should be within that mission, right? But the, the basic essential for Sunday morning is that it be a tool and a place to say, come as you are, linger with us, there's no rush. Come get the, whether it's caffeine or carbohydrates you need, but what you really need is the connection of conversation that, that delivers a, you matter to God. This conversation that you're in is, is if you were the only person alive, you matter to God, and we are extending that welcome in the name of Jesus Christ. And it is, it is the beginning entryway into a church that not only has that vibe, but, but has that reality in life because we recognize, uh, again, that God loves the worst person in the world more than we love the best person in our own world. 
and, and that he loves everybody more than we love anybody, that his love is boundless, and this is, this is what a gospel culture is. This, this is the whole purpose behind the lobby in a church. It's, it's the shared experience of grace for the undeserving. You know, you can, you can go into different food stores. I mean, there's, there's the big, you know, warehouse-type markets, and there's not a whole lot of culture there. It's just a lot of variety of stuff and programs. But then, at least, and this is showing my bias, but you go into Trader Joe's, and you're like, man, that place, they love food. Like, there's a, there's a different vibe, right? It's, it's a culture that is communicating something. Or, you know, you can go, you can, you can buy a Toyota, or if you want to upgrade, you can buy a Jeep, my opinion, like, you know, they can go off-roading. Or if you really want culture, unique culture, go to Harley-Davidson. Like, that is a different culture, right? It's, it, it's like, boy, there's some hardcore motorcycle people there. And, and we want to be the church to say, we, we are hardcore committed to the premise that Jesus Christ loves sinners where they are. You know, Jesus patented what it means to say, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. And he said it in that order. You know, if you say, go and sin no more, and then you won't be condemned, you know what that is? That is religion. That is the, the instinct of the human heart that will lead us to hide from God and each other. But when you put those in the right order, you know what you've got? You've got Jesus. When you say, neither does God condemn you, and then live a life free of sin. It's a total different motivation. It's, it's why in the church, what you'll find is that a church that's tracking on that is gonna preach against religiosity and morality as much as we preach against sin. Because our problem is that we have difficulty growing in Christ and being the returnal, returning prodigal without turning into the older brother who basically serves obediently but really resents his father. We have been welcomed, not just with the yellow sheets out the window, but we have been welcomed with the older brother Jesus sacrificing his inheritance, going to the cross for us, paying everything that needs to be done, knowing the worst about us, and welcoming us back and reinstating us. And so this is gospel culture. And it, again, the lobby is the entrance level, but it's got to permeate every aspect of the church with a anticipation and welcome that this, this is the place where we don't have stopwatches for people's transformation. I actually bought a, a great big stopwatch with me and I forgot it in my briefcase, but in my backpack. But you know, a gospel culture doesn't have stopwatches for other people's transformation. It, it is gospel over time in a safe environment that creates a vibe where people can say, I'm not sure about all the stuff you believe, but when I watch how you treat each other, I'm coming back. That, that is so needed in the church. It, it takes away the lines that can so can so unfortunately be drawn in church places and can cause certain groups to feel like there, there is an exclusionary clause. You know, in, in the fine print somewhere, there's some conditionality of the gospel and it is not to be found. Christ has met the conditions and satisfied them for us. Uh, and so um, this is our task. 
And it can happen with professional greeters. You know, the regular faithful greeters, you're awesome. I love the spirit and the spirit of genuineness. But I'll tell you what people often say. They're like, well, you know, it's kind of like the Chick-fil-A when they say your pleasure, your pleasure, my, or my pleasure <laughs> is your pleasure. And I love that about Chick-fil-A. I'll almost go there just for the experience of seeing a well-trained core in a well-run place, right? But I will tell you, I've noticed something in the pandemic. They're having trouble staffing Chick-fil-A's, if you've noticed. I don't know, but if, you know, and I've frequented them a little bit more because I'm commuting and that kind of thing. There ha the, there's been a little downgrade across all the fast food industry. I'm becoming a little bit of an expert, so I can tell you, since the pandemic, they're struggling filling those positions. And I have noticed that the, uh, my pleasure is coming out kind of forced, begrudging, and stressed out. <laughs> Uh, and um, sometimes that's how we're received as professional greeters. What people, again, really are wondering is what's the tenor of the congregation? I'll, I'll arm and train you for this. You don't need to say, are you new or I've never met you? Because, you, yeah, you might bump into somebody who says, I've been part of CLC for 30 years. All you need to do is say, I don't think we've met. Maybe we have, but I've forgotten. And all you need to do is notice people. Here's what the gospel does. Because God has noticed us against all odds, we begin to notice other people. I'll reveal a little secret about my strategy. When I'm in, in the lobby, I'm in my happy place in church. But I'm really looking for the person who feels out of place. After I greet people who are in that culture of friendship, I'm looking for the person who crosses the threshold. I've seen a few. I really would like to see more. Um, and I pray we will on the other side of the pandemic who I know stumble through the doors and they're kind of like, mm, I wonder, you can, you can see it, right? If you've been to church, you can see someone saying, oh, I'm a little uneasy, I'm nervous. It's more than will my kids be safe? Uh, it's, it's, it's more than am I gonna be cornered? It's just like, I'm taking a risk. And I, I try, I try to go and disarm that and, and, and then find people who are disarming it through real sincere connection and then connecting them and connecting them and connecting them. You know, greeting and welcoming at the beginning superficial level, kind of this waltz of connection, conversation, and then turning and connecting them to someone else and then connecting them to someone else. But ultimately out of that overflow of the fact that this is what God does. And I think like that is, that is a manifestation when it's from the heart and sincere, when it's not professional or forced or a script in our mouths, it is a, it is a rare thing to find on the planet. One group that unfortunately has been trapped by a bill of goods and by a culture war that's made it sound like we're warring against sinners and sins instead of winning people to Jesus Christ has been the LGBTQ community. And one author I really respect who has held both lines in that there is no condemnation, but also God calls us to live a life free of sin is Preston Sprinkle. If you know that name, Preston Sprinkle, he's written some great books on how to join that together and yet also love people who are confused about gender issues and in the LGBTQ community. And he writes this, this really, this really hit my heart. He says this, he says, 83% of LGBTQ people were raised in the church. And he I spent a lot of time interviewing and talking with this group, and he said 51% left the church as they turned 18 years old. 51% of the 83% raised in the church left. And he asked them why. And you know what they said? 
They said the reasons for leaving were not primarily theological because we held to a different biblical teaching on marriage and relationship and sexual identity and norms. They said, no, that wasn't it. In fact, he said only 3% of the people who left, or the LGBT people who left the church said they left because of the church's teaching was different than what they had come to embrace on marriage and sexuality. He said the main reasons they left had, not, had only to do with relational problems, not theological ones, and they recounted story after story after story where they were dehumanized, isolated, shunned, or simply kicked out of church once it was discovered that they experienced same-gender love. That, that's, that's such a miss. I like what the preacher Alistair Begg said of this. He says, much of the church has decided to trade in mission and great commission for admonition. <laughs> we should not trade in mission and, and the great commission for admonition. That is not, the Holy Spirit has not come to give us unsolicited advice about how we have messed up. He's come to sweep us into the love of God and to sweep us off our feet and disarm us. And so what does it require? Safety, a non-accusing environment, no embarrassing anyone, no manipulation, no oppression, no condescension, but respect and sympathy and understanding where sinners can confess and unburden their souls. A church environment, I love this phrase, where no one seeking the Lord has anything to fear and no one even inquiring about maybe seeking the Lord has anything to fear. No timetables, no pressures that we create. And those kind of, of environments that are both gentle and inviting and there without a sales pitch, without a program or a path to sale, that is the basis where all of us can change. You may have heard this story. It's a classic one told by Tony Campolo, but I read it again and I just had to, felt the Spirit was leading me to share it with you again. Um, it's in his book, The Kingdom of God is a Party. Uh, and I think it was written in the late 90s. And Campolo was traveling and he was in Hawaii and his time was all messed up. And, and, and so he found himself unable to sleep and on a side street, he went into a little diner that was open. And these are his words. He says, I went in, I took a seat on one of the stools at the counter, and I waited to be served. It was one of those sleazy, greasy places that deserves the name Greasy Spoon. I did not even touch the menu. It was so greasy. And I was afraid that if I opened it, something would crawl out of the menu. <laughs> but it was the only place I could find. And the guy behind the counter came over and asked me, he says, what do you want? And I said, I want a cup of coffee and a donut. And he said, the guy poured him a cup of coffee and wiped his grimy hand on his smudged apron. And then he grabbed the donut with his fingers behind him. And Capoli says, you know, look, I'm a realist. I know in the back room of the restaurants, donuts are probably dropped on the floor and kicked around and then put up and handed out. But he says, when everything's out in front of you where you can see it, right? I would have really appreciated a pair of tongs and placed the donut on some wax paper. But he says, I sat there munching my donut and sipping my coffee at 3.30 in the morning and the door of the diner suddenly swung open and to my discomfort in marched eight or nine provocatively dressed and boisterous prostitutes. And it was a small place 
And I'm surrounded at the counter on either side of me and their talk was loud and crude and I felt completely out of place. I was about to make my getaway when I overheard the woman beside me say, tomorrow's my birthday, I'm going to be 39. And her friend responded in nasty tone, said, you know, um, so what do you want from me? A birthday party? What do you want? You want me to get you a cake and sing happy birthday? Uh, come on, said the woman. Uh, why do you have to be so mean to her, said another one. I was just she was just telling us. And the woman whose birthday was gonna be the next day said, yeah, you don't have to put me down. I was just telling you. It's gonna be my, my 39th birthday and I, I don't want anything from you. Uh, why should anybody throw me a birthday party? I've never had a birthday party in my entire life. Why should I have one now? And Campoli says, when he heard her say that, I've never had a birthday party. He made a decision. He sat, he waited until the woman had left. And then he said, uh, these are his words. He said, I called over the fat, greasy guy behind the counter. <laughs> and I asked him, I said, do these women come in here every night? And he says, yeah. And he says, the, uh, the one right next to me uh, who talked about her birthday, does she come in here every night? And he goes, yeah, that's Agnes. She comes in here every night. What do you want to know? And he says, because, you know, we just heard her say that tomorrow's her birthday. And he says, what do you say that you and I do something about that? What do you think about us throwing a birthday party for her right here tomorrow night? And, and, and a cute smile slowly crossed his cheeks and he, this, this guy behind the counter answered. He said, that's great. I like that idea. Uh, and he called to his wife who did the cooking in the back room. He says, hey, come out here. This guy's got a great idea. Uh, tomorrow, Agnes's birthday. This guy wants to go uh, and, and throw a birthday party, party for her right here tomorrow night. And so his wife came out of the back room. She was all smiles. She says, that's awesome. You know, Agnes is one of those people who's really nice and kind. And nobody ever does anything nice and kind for her. So Campolo says, all right, if it's okay with you, I'm going to get back here tomorrow morning about 2.30. And we're going to decorate this place. Uh, I'll even get the birthday cake. And, and Harry, the guy who's behind the counter, said, no, no, the birthday cake is ours. My wife's going to make the cake. And so 2.30 next morning, Campolo says, I was in that diner. I picked up some crepe paper decorations at the store. I made big signs out of cardboard that read, happy birthday, Agnes. And I decorated the diner from one end to the other. And I had that diner looking really good. And the woman who did the cooking must have gotten word out on the street because by 3.15, every prostitute in Honolulu was in the place. <laughs> it was wall-to-wall -wall prostitutes and Tony Campolo, if you know him, this, this, this guy who looks kind of like a Baptist preacher. <laughs> and at 3.30 on the dot, the door of that diner swung open and in came Agnes and her friend. And I had everybody ready. After all, I was kind of the MC of the fair, he said. And when they all came in, he, we screamed, happy birthday, Agnes! Campola says, never have I seen a person so flabbergasted, so shunned, so shaken. Her, her mouth fell open. Her legs seemed to buckle under her a bit. Her friend grabbed her arm to steady her. And as she was led to sit on one of the students along the, uh, the stools along the counter, we all sang happy birthday, Agnes, to her. And um, dear Agnes, happy birthday to you. Her eyes moistened. And when the birthday cake with all the candles on it was carried out, she just lost it. She just sobbed convulsively. And, and Harry gruffly mumbled, he says, blow out the candles, Agnes. Come on, blow out the candles. If you don't blow out the candles, I'm gonna have to blow out those candles. And after a few end of seconds, he handed her a knife and he told her, cut the cake, Agnes. Yo, Agnes, come on, we want some of that cake. 
And Agnes just looked down at the cake. And then without taking her eyes off of it, she slowly and softly said, you know, look, Harry, I never had this. Is, is, is it okay with you if, I mean, is it okay if I, I kinda ask you like, is it okay if I just keep the cake a little while? I mean, is it okay if we, we don't eat it right away? And Harry shrugged and he's like, sure, it's okay if you wanna keep the cake. I mean, keep the cake, take it home if you want to. Can I? <laughs> she asked. Then looking at, at Tony, she said, you know, I, I live just down the street a couple doors. I, I wanna take the cake home. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll be back, honest. And so she got off the stool and she picked up the cake and she says, Campbell says she was carrying this cake like it was the Holy Grail. Just like nestling it. And, 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 and they all stood there motionless. The door flung open, she left, the door closed, silence. And Campola says, when the door closed, there was such a stunned silence in the world, were in that place, he said, not knowing what else to do, I broke the silence by saying, what do you say we pray? <laughs> Diner filled with prostitutes. And looking back on it now, he says, it seems more than strange for a sociologist preacher to be leading a prayer meeting with a bunch of prostitutes in a diner in Honolulu at 3.30 in the morning, but then it just felt like the right thing to do, so I prayed for Agnes. I prayed for her salvation. I prayed that her life would be changed by God. I prayed that God would be good to her. And when I finished, Harry leaned over the counter with not a little trace of hostility in his voice and said, hey, you never told me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to? And in one of those moments where just the right words came out, I answered, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for whores at 3.30 in the morning. <laughs> and Harry waited a moment and then almost sneered as he answered, no, you don't. There's no church like that. If there was a church like that, I'd join it. I'd join a church like that. I want to say to you, wouldn't we all? Wouldn't we all want to join a church that throws birthday parties for whores at 3.30 in the morning? <laughs> well, that's, that is the kind of church that Jesus came to create. That's the narrative of a God who wants his family back, who is swam through an ocean of all the obstacles that we create and has dismantled them to the core. That's a God who pours out himself. That's a God who, I want to say to you today, if you haven't felt that you are the beloved of God, that you are the beloved of Jesus Christ, that that is the A number one agenda that God has. He doesn't have a list of expectations that he's disappointed in you in. The Bible does not say that he's disappointed in us, but that he delights in us. Over and over again, the Bible says he delights in us and he delights to pour out his goodness to us in Jesus Christ. And once we've received it, once we've received that understanding, the mission of our life is to do what Jesus Christ did. He joined perfectly 
then neither does God condemn you, but go and sin no more perfectly together, but he always got the order right. Let's be that church. That's why we have the lobby. It's why we have the disc golf. It's why we serve coffee. It's why Jesus Christ established us to tear down every barrier and obstacle and then to live in a culture that says, it's safe in here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. It's a simple word. It's one verse. Welcome one another as we have been welcomed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we pray you would grow us in awareness of that welcome that has been lavishly given to us. And we pray for this community. We pray for Chester County. We pray for the households. Many of them who know have no idea that this is what the church Jesus founded is really about, both for them and for the narrative of their lives. And Lord, we pray you would write a big new narrative for us. The narrative, Lord, that is not really about us, but is about what Christ has done, is doing, and can do for us. Lord, where we've not been about that, we own it. We turn from it. That is not who we want to be. It may be who we have been, It is not who we want to be. And we thank you so much this morning that it's not who we need to be. (laughs) And it's not who we ultimately will be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We invite you to stand and sing with us. Through my failures, this 
His trusted love is with me till the end. How great this love! Oh, it's closer than a brother, and this is love. He died so I could live, cause He is good, and He is God. What I earn, it's not what I got, and He is just, yet also kind, what I deserve. God is love. Let's raise our voices as a church to sing this together. And I know my God is love. And I know my God is love. And this is enough to know my God is love. receive this blessing into your life. Now, may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us that which is pleasing in his sight. To him be the glory forever and ever. And God's people said, amen. Amen. I know my God is
Could I say about my God? 